This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokatov Shavuotov, how are you? Bokatov Shavuotov, I would like, if I may, to start the week off with some really, really good news. Some two pieces of good news, actually, mm-hmm. which are away from the war zone. And um, the first piece of good news involves Yuval Freilich, who is a fencer. Uh, represents Israel in fencing competitions around the world. He actually um, has come from a family who made Aliyah from Australia originally, uh, but Yuval has been fencing since the age of eight, and he's already now 29 years old. He was competing last week in a fencing competition in the Grand Prix competition in Qatar, the 2024 Qatar Grand Prix, and he won a gold medal for the EPE competition um, in Doha. Um, and he uh, was on the top step of the podium with Hatikvah playing uh, despite in the Doha. fact that it oh. was all in Qatar, in I, Doha. And on his, on, on his shirt, he had a sign which said, I'm Yisrael Chai, on his sleeve of the shirt that he wore yeah. in the competition, which was very, very emotional indeed. Um, so a great, great result um, from Yuval Freilich. And of course, it also helps his uh, attempts to qualify for the Paris Olympics later this year. It seems like um, it has done him uh, the world of good in his attempts to qualify. But in addition to uh, Yuval's uh, great uh, result, we also have a great result that comes from the windsurfing world. And this time in uh, the Canary Islands, which was the location for uh, the World Championships. And Sharon Kanter has been crowned the IQ Foil World Champion on behalf of Israel. She also stood on the top step of the podium with her tick for playing uh, to commemorate her gold medal, to mark her gold medal. And on the third step in the bronze medal position was Kati Spiachkov, who um, was also representing Israel. Um, and so two Israeli ladies um, coming first and third in the IQ Foil uh, World Championships in the, in the, in the Canary Islands. Um, also a great result for Israel. And of course, this means that Sharon will go to the Paris Olympics later this year uh, to compete there. And it just continues Israel's great run of uh, good results in windsurfing in general um, and of course now um, another world champion so we're very very proud of our sportsmen who are I have to say competing under very very difficult conditions because um, the anti-Israel sentiment Mm. that is being felt Mm. within the sports world cannot be underestimated I mean there have been a number of instances where Israeli teams have been discriminated against because of the fact that they're Israeli under the circumstances of the ongoing 
in war in the background. And we have heard more and more stories coming out, for example, of the Eurovision, where so many countries are now opposing the participation of the official Israeli entry. We've already discussed the fact that we have an Israeli who will represent Luxembourg, but the official Israeli entry um, is being very much opposed. And so one has to take our hats off. We have to take our hats off to these uh, two Israeli sportsmen who've done really well on the international stage. Incredible. Really, really amazing. How, do, how, does it, how are they impacted in terms of uh, conscription if they called up? Because obviously athletes, uh, d- just uh, by the nature of their physical prowess, are within the age group that they might have to go to the army. I mean, we've seen Israeli actors, we've seen, you know, members of the Fowder crew. They don't seem to be exempt. Are sports people somewhat different? Um, So the way that the IDF deals with um, elite athletes in Israel is that they have a special program when it comes to conscription service. They have a special program for elite athletes. And of course, you have to qualify as an elite athlete. Um, The IDF has to agree that you are um, an elite athlete in whatever um, sport you take part in. And you have to be a representative of the national team in Israel. And in that particular situation, they give you an IDF service that allows you to serve in the IDF while also allowing you to continue your training and participating in competitions in your chosen sport, bearing in mind that this is three years of a person's life potentially at the peak of their sporting capability. Mm. So in terms of conscription, there is a a combined program that allows elite athletes to serve in the IDF. It means that they serve much less time officially in the army because they spend a lot of time uh, uh, training and participating in competitions uh, for those who have those competitions, international competitions to participate in. And they may well have some special exemptions from uh, doing reserve duty in order to allow them to continue to represent Israel in whatever their chosen sport is. Having said all of that, I've also heard of a number of elite athletes who have chosen to become combat soldiers rather than to participate in the elite athlete program. But that program certainly does exist to try to encourage sportsmen at the peak of their careers to continue those sporting careers even while serving in parallel in the IDF, doing a job which obviously is a somewhat scaled-down job because it allows them to do their sport as well, which is very demanding in terms of time and, 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 and effort. Mm, mm. Yeah, I was just uh, wondering how that works, works, but that really does make that really does make sense. What is the latest from Gaza? So the latest from Gaza is that um, the IDF continues to work in Khan Yunus, and in fact, the official uh, estimate that has come out of the IDF's work in Khan Yunus is that within another week or so, the IDF expects to overcome the last Hamas brigade stationed in Khan Yunus, to, which will allow the IDF effectively to have taken apart all four of the Hamas's battalions stationed in Khan Yunus. So out of the, the four battalions, the, the word that comes out of Khan Yunus is that three of them have already been uh, dismantled and that there is one battalion that is left still operating and that is expected to succumb to IDF forces within the course of the next week. There's been a lot of information coming out about a particular headquarters, the, what they call the Hamas Khan Yunus headquarters, 
which uh, has been taken over by the IDF. This is a, a, a location which apparently was used by Muhammad Sinwar, which is uh, Yihya Sinwar's brother. He apparently was uh, a top lieutenant uh, within the battalion in Khan Yunus, and he used this particular location, which is uh, reported to be very, very extensive. It's a location which has had um, a lot of training exercise uh, undertaken there, um, apparently quite a few mock-ups of um, Israeli towns, uh, of, of entrances to army bases, of um, Israeli tanks that have been mocked up in this particular training base in Khan Yunus in order to allow the um, Hamas um, terrorists to train before they come to Israel and to have everything that they need to have all of that experience of trying out um, what they might find in Israel even before they get there. So this has been um, quite a find, not only in terms of its training capability, but also in terms of the amount of weaponry, the mm. number of uh, arms and ammunitions that have been stored there, some of the pictures of the arms and ammunition <clears throat> that are stored in that base have come out and have been published in the newspapers. And so it's been regarded as a massive, massive find and a, a massive blow to Hamas in Khan Yunus as a result of um, the IDF coming across this. And of course, it leads into the terror tunnels as well. So it's all quite um, linked up with a huge training facility, massive storage facility. And we're told that this was one of the places that was used not only to train those terrorists who took place in the October the 7th massacre, but indeed um, has was also used as a command control center for activities that took place on October the 7th. So um, the IDF is sending a very clear message saying full operational control of Khan Yunus is expected within the course of the next week or so. Um, aside from Khan Yunus, there's been quite a lot of focus on Rafah, which is really one of the only areas in Gaza that the IDF has not yet taken control of. What's happened in Rafah is that most of the refugees from the north and the central part of the Gaza Strip have moved south towards Rafah, which is right on the Egyptian border. And um, reports suggest that there's something like 2 million people currently located in that Rafah area, which obviously wasn't built to accommodate that many people. What we're also concerned about is the amount of military capability that exists in Rafah. Um, there has started some speculation in the press about whether the IDF will begin to move some of those people back towards the north of the Gaza Strip to allow the IDF to get involved in taking down the military infrastructure that exists along that border with Egypt, along the Rafah area. Apparently there is significant military infrastructure. There are tunnels, there are weapons that are being stored there. There is a, a some sort of a com command control structure in that area. So, so speculation has started about when and whether, first of all, and when um, the IDF might choose to begin evacuating Rafah to allow some of the refugees to move further north again, um, to allow uh, the IDF to get into Rafah. Currently, the IDF are denying that they will be um, getting too involved in Rafah in the near future. But um, I can see a situation where um, the IDF will want to get uh, into Rafah and that those refugees may well be moved further north over time. But for now, at least, there isn't any serious talk about it, at least not from the IDF 
although there is some speculation in the press mm. about it. it. There definitely seems to be more, in inverted commas, success at locating the bunkers, tunnels uh, in Khan Yunus. Is it because there's more of them there, i.e. this is where the actual headquarters are and perhaps this is where the IDF should have gone initially, or, or is it because they've become better at at finding them? I mean, if you remember with the Shifa Hospital, how long it took once they, um, once they conquered that hospital area for them to actually find the tunnels beneath. It was a much more, it seems to be, have been a lot more difficult there. I think it's all of the above and perhaps even more. I think, first of all, um, Shifa Hospital, being a hospital, um, had a certain level of sensitivity associated with it, especially in the international press. Now, when Israel approaches a hospital, um, it is much less sensitive because of what we have learned about what happened in Shifa Hospital. But because that was the first of its type and the type of operation that was being undertaken there was a first time mm, in, in mm. this particular um, battle. The, uh, there was also a certain amount, not only lack of experience and also some sort of um, lack of knowledge about what they might find and how um, Hamas might hide themselves in the tunnel. What was to be expected? There was a lot of uncertainty and lack of knowledge about what they might find. These days, the style of operation, the style of fighting um, in the tunnels is better known. And um, when we talk about that Khan Yunus base, um, there were many, many terrorists, booby traps, uh, explosives that were in the walls of offices and of uh, areas in that training base, all designed to surprise the IDF. But of course, because we've now picked up this experience, we were already ready for those booby traps. We knew to find explosives in the walls and we managed to uh, to take over that base without exposing our soldiers to undue danger. Unfortunately, in the earlier days of the war, we lost many soldiers due to this lack of experience and the lack of knowledge. And so these days, I think it's a lot easier. I think that also the world opinion about this has somewhat changed the attention of the world is maybe not quite what it was in those early days. So I think quite a number of things have changed since then and it is a little easier and the experience that we've gained along the way has been absolutely invaluable, not only in saving yeah, our, yeah. the lives of our soldiers, but in terms of being, allowing us to progress at a faster rate. Uh, can you just uh, give us a sense, we don't have a lot of time, but the a sense of what is happening in terms of hostilities in the north? So the hostilities in the north continue to escalate. And for example, yesterday, there were 33 sirens sounded on Israel's northern border as a result of Hezbollah rocket barrages that were fired towards Israel. Um, and I think that, you know, with every passing day, we just see a small escalation. 33 air raid alerts in one day is, is more than we've had up until now at all. And it seems to be increasing all the time. So um, my impression is that we are gearing up for more of a conflict on the northern border with each passing day. The, the rockets from Lebanon continue to fall on Israel. Israel continues to sound its sirens in the areas of Kiryat Shmona and Manara and Margaliot and Metula and all of those northern areas are all coming under rocket fire. Fortunately, most of the residents have been evacuated from those areas. The IDF is very much controlled. There is apparently an attempt using international diplomacy to move Hezbollah back from the border with Israel and potentially even back as further north 
than the Litani River, which runs in that area. So far, we haven't been yet successful in achieving that, but we do understand that um, the battle in the north is going to be significant. The estimates are that there are approximately 150,000 rockets and mortars which are available on the northern border. And I think that what's happening at the moment is the idea for simply getting themselves more prepared and training further for the day when that escalation, when that uh, conflict escalates further beyond what it is right now. Um, I think we can expect that probably within the next four to six weeks that there will be a more of a major escalation on the northern border. That's just my speculation. Mm -hmm. Not simple at all. Anthony Reich, thank you. As always, we'll catch Anthony tomorrow morning for the Israel Report at 7.45. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohn from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Hallelujah.